You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me remotely, yet again, is my co-hostess with the most, just Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. How are you doing? I'm okay. You actually hosted the podcast last week. Yes, I was guest host, and you were missed, but uh, we had a lot of fun, me and Jan, and uh, there have been rave reviews of the podcast. There have been. There have been rave reviews. I, I was very impressed with the episode. It was important information for people. It was. Also, it's the uh, type of thing that Jan and I could probably talk about for hours and hours. Although we would start to repeat ourselves with stories that we've told. Yeah. Um, but they're fairly entertaining stories, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. entertaining enough anyway. Um, but I like you and I like Jan. And I liked the podcast last week. So thanks for being the fill-in host while I was dealing with a family issue. Yep. So welcome back. And we have lots to cover today. Yes, we do. Uh, you wanted to talk. I'm going to do this right off the bat. Since you you found a topic and you really want to talk about it, you wanted to talk about Tiger Woods. Well, I, I mean, I was hoping that we would talk about it a little bit beforehand. So we had some idea about what we would discuss. But my recollection of the story is that um, they've taken that Buick SUV and uh, looked at the black box data. So the, um, the information that's obtained or maintained uh, in the, uh, in the um, two computer systems, one with respect to the anti-lock brakes and the other with respect to the airbags, and concluded that the speed he was traveling at prior to the collision was roughly double the speed limit. But they are not charging him. Well, maybe the public interest in charging him is much lower on account of the fact that there was all the media attention surrounding the collision. Maybe he was injured a little bit. Um, you know, he's a public figure, so he had more of a backlash than the ordinary person would. Well, they may have also concluded that they didn't have an officer there to observe it, uh, yeah. that there was no speed estimate that this is a uh, uh, device that cannot testify, uh, that they would have to maybe have someone from the manufacturer come and testify about it, which is expensive, all really for a speeding ticket. Because like, what else are they going to give him? Yeah, and it wasn't, he didn't injure anyone else in the crash, right? It was just his vehicle went off road. Yep, he was likely saved by that Buick. So where's where's the public interest in giving Tiger Woods a speeding ticket? Also, like what 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 is the point of speeding tickets? Speeding tickets are to denounce and deter. Is Tiger Woods, multi-millionaire, going to be deterred by a couple hundred dollars speeding fine? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he's more likely to be deterred by the embarrassment, the fact that he destroyed a Buick. I think he was the spokesman for Buick. We'll see whether or not he continues to be the spokesman for Buick. And really, do you need to issue him a ticket in such circumstances? Some people are up in arms, though. Like, some people are just really angry. He's getting a, you know, it's a double standard. Just because he's a celebrity, he's not getting charged. 
I mean, I, I just look at it and I think just be, just because of the difficulty of prosecution, he shouldn't be charged. But on top of that, the guys suffered enough from this. Look, I was in an accident um, several years ago. We've talked about my accident a couple times. And one of the things in the accident was the driver of the other vehicle accused me of speeding. And the officer came up to me after the collision and he said, well, she said you were speeding, but I'm not going to give you a ticket because, you know, you've suffered enough. So, and I'm just like a nobody. Well, you also weren't speeding. I wasn't. So <laughs> I've driven with you. You don't speed. Didn't want to pick that fight with me in the end, you know, because I would have disputed the ticket. You wouldn't of have been. Of course. Yeah. There's no way you would have been ever convicted on that basis. But he, you know, he didn't know that I'm, I'm a driving lawyer. The officer had no idea what I do for a living. Yeah, but under those circumstances, I don't think it would have mattered. I mean, you know, the layman's um, speed estimation when it's an adverse party in a collision, uh, that quality of that evidence is about zero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, credibility and reliability? Uh-uh. I don't Especially think so. I T-boned her with my car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was her fault yeah. running a red light. It was, her, it was a stop sign, but yes. Whatever. She ran a stop, went through a stop sign and yeah. So um, yeah, so I, I understand that people are upset. I think people need to take the full circumstance into consideration with respect to Tiger Woods. Yep, he was likely speeding. Yep, are they gonna run that trial and try and prove it in court? Is it worth it for a speeding ticket? Uh, you know, call evidence of somebody from Bosch who makes the uh, who well, makes the <laughs> the data recorder. Not just that. It's not just that. The media circus that would be surrounding that ticket. They'd have to have a massive courtroom for it. They'd have to have enhanced security. Like it would cost the taxpayer hundreds of thousands of dollars to facilitate the trial of that traffic ticket. Of course, you might just write a check and <laughs> pay for yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's true. Imagine, imagine, imagine the, the media circus. Here I was assuming that Tiger Woods would hire a crack driving lawyer, Kyla Lee, to come into wherever From Canada to fly yeah. to California to conduct his hearing. Yeah. You'd do it. I would You'd do, do it. it. You got lots of friends in California. You'd go down there and assist. I'd, I'd tell Tiger, call Richard Middlebrook. Yeah. Or Josh or somebody. Yeah, yeah Josh. Vince Tucci. Richard Middlebrook. Yeah, yeah, Vince. Any, any one of those solid uh, impaired driving lawyers would be able to defend him on that one. Yeah. The, you know that guy, um, that guy and the plane crash. Yeah. Uh, I forget his name. I was thinking about him today, too. Yeah. Earlier today, we had a brief conversation, Kyla and I, about um, DUI lawyers we've known who have come and gone and, and gone usually because they died. Uh, it's a sad story that you you recognize that you you're climbing the ladder as a lawyer in the profession as often as a result of of attrition by death. <laughs> it's that's really tragic but true. Yeah, that's uh, it's sad. I recognized it early on in my career. Like that, the guy uh, who older to... lawyers would die. The guy who gets to write the new like constitutional law textbook in Canada is only doing it because Peter Hogg died. Yep. 
but such is such is the existence of all living things that is and all things i suppose eventually everything comes to an end turn 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 sure that's a song that could come to an end as far as i'm concerned that song anyway Anyway, speaking of coming to an end let's end tiger woods and move on to something else yes um today there has been a bit of an uproar uh because one of the officers who's been named an inspector with the surrey police has uh what people are calling a history of impaired driving um so this person uh jeff metcalf received a 90-day immediate roadside prohibition, not a criminal charge, blew a fail into a roadside breathalyzer, got his license suspended for 90 days, and people are all up in arms that he's been hired to be an inspector with the new Surrey police. Well, a couple of important things there. First of all, we're getting a little bit of distortion today in our recording, and I heard Spector instead of Inspector. And so I thought, you know, he was maybe a, a member of a supervillain group that uh, James Bond was trying, trying to, uh, to undermine and stop from destroying the world. So an inspector, and he has a previous immediate roadside prohibition, and people are upset about that. Well, I mean, I think you might as well start picking that apart because this is your, uh, I hate the word wheelhouse, but you're the one who wrote the book (laughs) on immediate roadside prohibitions. Kyla wrote a book on it. I, 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 you know, I already have serious problems just like, like intellectually with the idea that an immediate roadside prohibition for a police officer is automatically considered a code of conduct issue, regardless of whether they get it on duty or off duty. It's, it's like they have to go report it to their supervisor. They have to explain it, all of this. It's meant to be an, a, a, a quick sanction to deal with the problem of a potentially impaired driver that provides a summary avenue of redress in the event an officer was wrong in their judgment in issuing the prohibition. That's all it's meant to be. It's not supposed to have the life-altering career and consequences that a criminal conviction has. And if there is a good reason that's in the public interest for a police officer who's stopping somebody and considering going the IRP route to instead pursue a criminal charge, then it's incumbent on the police officer to do that at the time. But the way that this has evolved in the 11 years, can you believe, that we've had roadside prohibition? Yeah, I know. 11 years as of September. Um, 11, well, minus the six months where they were suspended for being. So it's 10 years right now, actually. Yeah. About, yeah. In the decade that we've had immediate roadside prohibitions, they've evolved into this thing where now you have to report them. You know, when I applied to be a member of the bar, I wasn't asked about immediate roadside prohibitions. They're now on your law society application, even though they're not an offense, they're an administrative sanction. And the courts are like, Oh, it's just a you know a minor thing because it's an administrative sanction and it doesn't have the real world consequences that a criminal conviction does. So the panoply of procedural protections that apply in a criminal prosecution don't apply in a media outside prohibition hearing. Well, tell that to any aspiring lawyer or aspiring police officer or aspiring nurse or doctor or all of the other professions that require disclosure of it. And so this guy 
is having his career scrutinized over something that was supposed to be comparatively nothing. The, the idea of the, um, I mean, I, each time it's explained to a judge, they never seem to understand the vast implications um, of, a, of an IRP to people. But the idea of the extremely limited and many would say completely and utterly unfair review process uh, arises because it is not supposed to be something that stigmatizes you later on. It's designed to be, so they claimed when it was introduced, a step in rehabilitation, accepting the fact that the evidence was not going to be substantive because it's a roadside it's breath tester with no, re no recording of the evidence and a roadside breath tester. And those samples in those circumstances are always suspect. Yeah, it, and, it, that was the point. It was meant to like rehabilitate people to protect the public. It doesn't protect the public to say that you should have to disclose this in your law society application when you have no realistic, you know, review opportunity, right? Like you get a speeding ticket, you have to disclose. The Law Society also asks you, and this is kind of a confusing question. They ask you, have you received any, um, any like charges other than speeding tickets? Does that mean that if you get a red light camera ticket, you need to disclose it? Does that mean that if you get a, a ticket for driving in a bus lane, you need to disclose it, but the speeding ticket you don't? But that's a weird question. But disobey traffic control device because you go over the line too early to turn into the left-hand turning lane because yeah. there's a car ahead of you in the left lane that goes straight. Yeah, or does the law society just not understand that like there are other tickets besides speeding tickets? I, I often wonder the decision-making process down there. I don't know where they come to the conclusion to stick in the things that they do. If it is the benchers having that discussion and debate and then making those changes, then I would say that they should investigate it better before they make those decisions. Um, you know, I, I can understand wanting to see somebody's driving record if, if there's a, a pattern of disobeying the law. So, you know, <laughs> if, if you're a person who gets two tickets a year, uh, there's a pattern of you not just not respecting the law. But if you have a speeding ticket, if you've had, you know, if you've been driving for five years and you've had two speeding tickets, or you've been driving for five years and you've got a red light and a speeding ticket and a cell phone ticket, I honestly, you know, I don't think it should matter. Because I'll tell you, I don't see anyone but me and you, actually, I've been with you, but not many people who come to a complete stop at a stop sign. Almost never. And I'll bet everybody down at the Law Society, everybody, most of the lawyers out there don't come to a complete stop at every stop sign and haven't over the course of their lives. And this is an issue of the, you know, don't throw stones, glass houses issue. Mm -hmm. uh, because everybody's a rule breaker and a law breaker at some point or another, to some extent or another. Mm -hmm. And generally, it's hard to measure character, right? But Punishing somebody, you know, scrutinizing somebody on the basis of an immediate roadside prohibition, where you're just being tested on a roadside breath tester that has no capacity to say whether or not it's a reliable sample. Um, and then with almost no review provisions, 
in a system that was never designed that way, that is upsetting to me. And I feel bad for Spector or Inspector or whatever he's going to be. Well, it's not just that, like you can't, you can't cross-examine. So you can't even, you know, you can't even create in the hearing. Get further disclosure, can't get further disclosure, can't cross-examine. You can't, yeah. you know, take the, take the position that it was wrong and then create a record from which, you know, maybe the adjudicator is not going to side with you, but maybe your professional standards or professional conduct or whatever reviewer that you have to face will have, will see some value in the things that you get, the concessions or the information that you get out of, out of the other side. Like, I mean, I've dealt with cases involving police officers where they were alleged in um, circumstances where they were being investigated for driving offenses to have, you know, said, oh, I'm a cop and tried to curry favor by doing that. The, the clients in those circumstances have had explanations for why they brought it up. But in the review hearing, the adjudicator is not gonna deal with that in the decision. They're gonna say, well, that's not relevant to the decision I have to make. I have to find whether or not, you know, the you refuse to blow. And, and so the things that might be of most interest to your professional conduct, are not of interest in, in, the, in the IRP process and you have no opportunity to put them to the witness. As the officers aren't required to submit all of the relevant material, you, you might not get an evidentiary foundation for what you need to explain because the officer doesn't bother to submit it because they don't have to. Yeah, that's an, another point that I hadn't even considered. Like, um, the, and you're probably expected to disclose that. Yeah, witness uh, for driving drunk. Well, what if the witness is your ex-wife who's angry at you in a custody battle? Yep. True. Um, I know that some police officers listen to our podcast, and those police officers probably know not to say, mention anything if you're pulled over about being an officer, right. unless you are asked. Never, ever. If, if you are asked, then, then say it. Uh, but otherwise do not say it because if you mention that you're a police officer you will immediately look like you were attempting to uh, curry favor and you will then be facing more significant disciplinary action um, there is a circumstance in which police officers are obligated to disclose to other police officers your best bet is to phone your nco while it's happening yeah um so long as that doesn't look like you're trying to curry favor. Well, just, uh, but if you're asked your occupation, answer your occupation. Yeah. A uh, friend of mine who uh, was a police officer was pulled over uh, in the States, actually, um, and uh, about to be issued a speeding ticket. And the officer came up to him, and he did not say anything about the fact that he was a police officer in Canada. Uh, and um, the officer went away, and the officer came back and gave him a warning. And it was appropriate. He was 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, not exactly, you know, the, the worst offense. Um, and he was on a motorcycle. So it was, you know, an older motorcycle with a speedometer that bounces around, which is not uncommon and not wrong either. Um, but um, he asked him, he said, I'm, I'm giving you a warning. I, you know, I've decided not to charge you here. Um, and uh, he said, are, are you, are you a member? Are you a police officer? He said, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got that sense. <laughs> and probably, probably because he was just so respectful. 
um, there is a thing. You know, there there is some there is some a, real value to being polite and not too talkative. Yeah, but there's also a look. There's a look you develop after years of policing, a tone of voice that you are able to do. Yes, that's true. I see it in like like Chad Haggerty, the uh, soon to be lawyer in Alberta. Um, you know, uh, Jeff Meadows, the lawyer um, that we know in the U.S. Uh, you know, there's just something about them. You're like, you're a cop. <laughs> yeah. Not a cop anymore, but you're a cop. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Anyway, that's telegraphing you're a cop without saying you're a cop just by being Coplet. having 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 so much copness in your genes after so many years of <laughs> exactly. wearing cop clothes. Anyway, anyway, I'm here on the side that people might not think I would be. You know, everybody's like, oh Kyla, she's so like, you know, always trying to criticize the police and you know No, you're not. No, you're yeah. not. I don't think people attack you for that anymore, do they? Yeah. Well, I just the other day I got attacked for it mm. on Twitter. By well, here you are. Here you are. You're defending, you know, you're defending the police officer who got the exact thing, though, that you defend. So it's hardly a hardly a defense for you here. <laughs> oh, so what? He's entitled to as much of a defense as anybody else is. Exactly. Entitled to not be stigmatized as much as anybody else isn't supposed to be stigmatized. Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> did we just say that at the same time? We did. We did. Yeah. But Inspector, I'm with you. I'm here for you. Call me if you need an opinion on your IRP. How <laughs> do you know you didn't defend him? Maybe you didn't get a defense. That's one of the other things I've noticed that many police officers um, just are of the view that they shouldn't defend themselves. Uh, if you're a police officer and something like this goes wrong, give us a call. You know, we're easy to talk to. Mm -hmm. We're not ratting you out to your fellow officers or anything. And we're not judging. We're lawyers. And yeah, there's very little judgment here. Oh. Unless you're judging people on the basis of not enough information, then we're judging you for judging. I get uh, I get a lot of clients that are always trying to explain to me, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And this is like, I never do anything like this. And this is not like me. Like, I'm not judging you. Yeah. It just doesn't, it just doesn't bother me. That's just the facts. Just the facts. People ask me, you know, how can you, do, how can you do it? It like, it literally does not bother me. I, I don't know. Am I dead inside? I don't think so. Not at all. You're focused on the, you're focused on the, uh, on the job at hand. Okay. When you're no longer doing this, you will maybe not be so focused on the job at hand. Probably not. I'll probably just be eating candy. Probably. Um, or uh, Doritos. I noticed there was a Dorito truck parked right below your window the other day. I know. And they didn't even bring me any. Yeah. Well, they should feel obliged to. I know. That's what I'm saying. Doritos. <laughs> why, why are you doing that to me? Yeah. Anyway, so there we go. Yeah. The Spectre and Doritos. What's next? Anything else we're talking about tonight? Yes. Today? Because sort of leading in from our topic about the punishment of the IRP is is now worse than the crime. Um, yeah. I, I also wanted to talk about driving without due care and attention. Now, this is a, an offense under the Motor Vehicle Act that's kind of a catch-all. It catches a lot of behavior. It catches behavior that includes people who are um, not 
paying attention, people who have momentary lapses of attention, like they look down to adjust the radio. Um, it captures like really bad driving conduct. It's used in British Columbia to resolve a lot of driving related criminal charges. It's a great offense because it fits so many circumstances. And the consequences under the Motor Vehicle Act, $368 fine, six points, hefty, hefty penalty, um, high fine, six points. And of course, under the Offense Act, automatically triggers driver point premium and, and it's considered a high risk offense. Yeah, your insurance rates go up. Um, under the you offense have to pay the driver point premium when you renew your license as well, or once a year annually. Well, you only have to pay driver risk or driver point, whichever one is more. Yeah. Um, under the Offense Act, if you're prosecuted with a 144 offense, you can face even greater consequences. And so you, you can be issued the ticket or you yeah. can be issued an appearance notice, yeah. um, a document that compels you to go to court to face it in front of a provincial court judge. And it, the whole process at that point is prosecuted the same way as a criminal offense. Yes. And they use it often in cases where people have caused an accident that has led to somebody dying, where their driving was bad, but it wasn't like, you know, criminal bad. So where there's not enough for dangerous driving. And we have talked a lot about dangerous driving on this podcast. We've talked about, you know, that, that momentary lapse in judgment spectrum that starts there um, and momentary inattention and goes all the way to, you know, the driving through city blocks like a maniac. And yeah. The 144 offense is that that's end of the spectrum where the driving is not dangerous driving. Or yeah, it, it, it doesn't rise to dangerous driving, but it's somewhere below. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it's very interesting the way they do these informations in the drive without due care cases. Because pursuant to all of the decisions that you and I have talked about recently that have come out from the courts about what you can get if you're issued a ticket, you know, you shouldn't be able to be given more than the fine and the superintendent of motor vehicles should have jurisdiction over the driving prohibition. But when they're prosecuted under the Offense Act, apparently that doesn't apply, which means that there is unlimited ability to impose consequences outside of a maximum fine of $2,000. Like under the Motor Vehicle Act, there's no limit on how long a judge can prohibit you from driving. True. There's a limit on how long you can go to jail. Under oh, yeah. The Act. yeah. Um, but there's no limit to how long a driving prohibition could be. Theoretically, a judge could give you a lifetime driving prohibition on the basis of a 144. And so I was reading a case that came out recently from uh, the BC Supreme Court. It was an appeal from sentence on a 144 ticket where the driver who had no criminal history and no antecedents on her driving record got a five year driving prohibition for a first offense. This was the uh, one in Prince George, right? Husband is the name of the case. Yeah, yeah it's kind of the example of, of bad facts make bad law 
-hmm. five-year driving prohibition on the basis of a 144. Um, you know, the, the, the trial judge uh, gave that, that length of driving prohibition. I've never heard of anything that long for a 144. One year was sort of the, the cap, even when there was a death. Um, and five years is just like really hard to see how that could be appropriate. Uh, you know, I, I could see that one going to the, to the court of appeal because mm -hmm. it, it's pretty extreme for that. Um, and it's not just five years, it's five years in the North. Yeah. Five years living out of town. Like I think she lives like 20 miles out of town or 20 kilometers out of town and she's yeah. in her eighties. And, and the court recognized that this is basically a lifetime driving prohibition, but she had nothing on her record. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the driving was bad. Was she 82 or something? In her 80s, yeah. never had a ticket. <clears throat> never had a ticket. But she was bizarrely, um, what's the phrase? Like lacking emotion apparently at the scene and then uh, lacking uh, sort of insight into her driving at the time and afterward. Um, and I think that was like part of the reason. There was no mitigating factor of a guilty plea. Uh, but of course, that's not an aggravating factor either. You're entitled to have a trial. Mm -hmm but five years, but the, the court recognized in that case that this is like a, a, probably a life, lifetime driving prohibition for this person. Yep. There's no parole off a driving prohibition either. <laughs> like you get a, you get a three-year jail sentence, you'll be out after two. Um, you know, you, <laughs> you get a, a five-year driving prohibition, that's it. When you're 82, you that's it. You get a five-year driving prohibition, Paul. You have <clears> to <throat> start your licensing from the L. <clears throat> yeah anything over two years you restart so she has to become an l driver if she lives long enough to license again yeah i mean i'm not i wasn't happy with the facts in the case uh, there was a three-year-old who was injured as a result of her driving her driving was bad over a, a five-year-old was killed what's that three and a half year old toddler was injured yeah yeah um the uh and the driving was bad over like a half a block or something. I can't remember for sure, but the uh, yeah, well, the, 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 the child. It was just lucky that the child wasn't killed. Um, so but I wanna, still, I want to go through a little bit of the facts. So yeah, probably should because I, otherwise I'm just talking out of my. You are just talking. You're just talking. So yeah. <laughs> um, the provincial court judge. Uh, under findings of facts that I find that Miss Husband drove for over 50 feet diagonally southbound across the oncoming lanes of traffic at a relatively slow but steady rate of speed in front of two oncoming vehicles without taking any evasive action. The location of the vehicles is accurately depicted in Exhibit 2. She did so to protect her car and prevent the kittens from waking up. Well, first of all, if she actually had kittens in her car, that she was, and she was deliberately driving that way so as not to wake the kittens up. I, I struggle to see how she's actually guilty of the offense. Like the offense is driving without due care and attention. It's well, it's it's it's, it's care to, to others on the road as well, right? Well, that's one forty four one B drive without reasonable. That's re reasonable consideration for others on the road. Due care and attention is also it just encompasses your duty as a driver. Your duty as a driver isn't to go driving across oncoming traffic because you don't want to wake a kitten. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. That's 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 
See, yeah. there's the thing about driving without due care and attention. It's so broad and I would not limit it. The court interpretation in Regina and Delquist <clears throat> draws the distinction between the 144-1A and the 144-1B offenses. And you there, yeah, Judicial Justice Gordon wrote a lengthy judgment explaining that 144-1B is a breach of a standard of care under the Motor Vehicle Act. So. So there you go. But <laughs> I, I, I think either charge would have fit. Okay. I think either case. Kitten, kitten waking is not a sufficient justification to violate, to drive into oncoming traffic, which sure. in many circumstances is just dangerous driving. So this is on the spectrum of just at the end of dangerous driving, where it could have been dangerous driving. And it says, I find this husband entered the third available driveway down into the parking lot without slowing down and drove behind the Explorer where Miss Paulson had already unbuckled her one-year-old into his car seat. She turns into a parking lot. This is how she ends up um, running over this child. In a parking lot, arguably not a roadway. I dated a woman um, in uh, years ago when I was very young. And uh, when she was a child, she was sitting behind her mom's car playing jacks and her mom backed up over her legs. <laughs> so she screamed out. <laughs> she was fine. Anyway, okay. big American car too. Like it was a, it was, it was an Oldsmobile. I think. Quite the story. You're just like laughing about it. Um, well, she always laughed about it. Okay. All my right. mom drove over my legs. I can imagine the fights as a teenager. Yeah, well, you drove over my legs. Yeah, probably. Uh, I would have used that against my mom as a teenager. That's what you would have said. Yeah, I would have. I would for yeah. sure have. Okay, so all of this driving, the the court uses to to essentially convict her, and she testified. Like she took this to trial. She didn't plead guilty. Um, she testified, the judge rejected her argument that, you know, she didn't do anything wrong, essentially. Um, and she and she appealed and only appealed from sentence because she got this five-year sentence. And what the court says in provincial court in her sentencing hearing is that in mitigation, she's got no criminal record, no entries on her driver's abstract. She's active in her community, good moral character. She had letters. And then, and then he, the provincial court judge says, with respect to aggravating factors, I note that her driving in the minutes preceding his, his preceding hitting this little girl shows a complete lack of attention to the road. It is, of course, not an aggravating factor, but she does not have in mitigation the benefit of a guilty plea. A lack of remorse, of course, is not an aggravating factor, but she has not once said, I am sorry. She did say, I've lived with this for over a year. I wish it had never happened. She continues to dispute the evidence and she continues to obliquely criticize the mother, which I find to be offensive and without foundation. The lack of remorse, in my perspective, goes to her likelihood of changing her driving behavior. Now, this is upheld in BC Supreme Court as not being an example of, of remorse or a lack of remorse being used against somebody, but merely a neutral factor. And I do not see how you can come to the conclusion that the, the supposed lack of remorse was at best a neutral factor in the circumstances of the case. I don't, I don't like that wording. I don't like that, that part of the decision. 
what neutral factor or no that the whole explanation i mean you know she she regrets the accident i don't know how she you know criticizes the mother um you know she might be in there you know without <laughs> without it, it may be very clear to the judge conducting the trial and the sentencing that she is just absolutely remorseless and blaming everybody and that may be and may, maybe that's what the judge is trying to tell us but i i don't I, when i weigh the the five-year driving prohibition against that description to me it does not it does not fit it to me the, the this was an example of using a lack of remorse as an aggravating factor because what the judge says is you know this lack of insight essentially is is an, an indication that she's not going to change her driving behavior but this was an isolated incident on a record for somebody who otherwise had never committed a driving offense before what's a more reliable indicator that they're going to change their behavior past behavior for you know whatever 52 years or whatever she had of driving or more than that 62 years or something of driving yeah or uh or is a, an isolated incident in which this woman was obviously more worried about kittens than something else and you know kittens are cute i get it um, like what what is the more reliable indication of how a person is going to behave in the future their lifelong good service and good citizenship or one incident where they go you know what this was not my fault and i don't i don't accept responsibility for this even if they're wrong yeah i'm not happy with this decision and to me it it was it was twisting the lack of remorse into something more than it actually was in the circumstances and it sets a dangerous precedent it is a bad precedent it's a you know it's bad facts making bad case law i mean i i think she would have been much better off on the basis of the facts that are described pleading guilty um and it should have been a, a joint submission of some sort probably for a one-year driving prohibition i'll bet she never thought that she would ever get beyond one year well, yeah, i'm sure her lawyer probably told her if she had a lawyer at the trial probably told her there's it's highly highly unlikely that you would get more than a year i'm surprised the crown asked for that there's a um, and defended it on a on a sentence appeal i'm Not surprised that. about that too but like there's a ton of case law out there in the <clears throat> sort of causing death realm that finds that no driving prohibition is appropriate where the person has no antecedents i know there's uh and that's case law across western canada there's yeah. a number of decisions from Alberta that we rely on, and Alberta is usually harsher um, on this, but they've got a careless driving uh, uh, provision of the, whatever it is, Highway Traffic Act, or whatever it's called now, um, that's very similar and has been interpreted similarly. And like sometimes somebody dies uh, and sometimes it's a, you know, the momentary lack of attention or the, the bad decision that goes slightly beyond you know the bad judgment where you're trying to do your best just a bad decision moment of a bad decision yeah five-year driving prohibition is is you know that's a life sentence driving prohibition for this person and they've got nothing else in their history and there's also and that just seems extreme to me where's the proportionality here right like a, a fit sentence is a sentence that is similar to other sentences that have been given to other similar situated offenders for similar conduct. 
Yeah, there, it feels like age discrimination in this circumstance. There is because it's because it's just set up to make sure that she never drives again. Right. The 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 defense brought three cases to court to say, you know, this this is not a fit sentence. The Crown brought one, a case of Regina and Miller from the BC Supreme Court, um, which talks about about criminal appeals um, and specifically a. a a three-month jail sentence uh, and a modest fine um, on the basis of the fact that there was a drive without due care and attention that resulted in a death. But in Miller, as the BC Supreme Court judge recognized, it was distinguishable because the offender had a lengthy driving record. And so obviously they demonstrated past conduct that was indicative of what their future conduct was going to be. Yeah, there's the one-offs and this sounds like it was a one-off. And then there's the people, the pattern of behavior that you're trying to deter in the future because you can't change the fact of the past. Mm -hmm. But the one-off, you know, how are you trying to change their behavior in the future? Yeah, I, I, I doesn't, this, the, to me, it's just, it's not a rational decision. I, I, I hope it goes to the Court of Appeal, but you know the Court of Appeal in this province usually is uh, um, pretty harsh. Um, so yeah, it's who knows ridiculous. Anyway. British Columbia is often thought of as a very liberal jurisdiction. Not not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I I anyway I'm, I'm shocked at the decision. I I very surprised that it was done the way that it was done um and i wanted to talk about it today for that reason yeah well i don't think it's 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 as i said at the top you know it's bad facts making bad law uh it's the type of thing would have been much better off with a joint submission for a one-year driving prohibition or a joint submission for a six-month driving prohibition or something like that on a plea yeah. um and maybe that came out somehow in the sentencing you know, I don't know, but still taking it from the range of, of uh, three months driving prohibition, which would have sort of been maybe normal for this type of driving behavior, but for the injury to five years, um, you know, I would have thought high end one year. Yeah. All right. Now that we've talked about all those horrible things that are so depressing <laughs> today, Let's well, Tiger Woods thing isn't that depressing. He didn't hurt anybody, and you know, okay, it made right. sense. Yeah. But I thought maybe we would do the ridiculous driver of the week. The ridiculous driver of the week. It's my favorite thing. The ridiculous driver of the week. I know it's what you keep coming back for. I know. Um, what is it this week, Kyla? What do you got? I actually, I'm, I'm kind of on the side of the driver here. It's an Alberta man, man from Red Deer, who got a speeding ticket, uh, was issued a court summons, because in Alberta, if you're doing excessive speed, you go automatically to court instead of just getting a traffic ticket. So he's issued a court summons. He leaves the scene. He goes home. He makes himself a protest sign returns to where the police are doing the speed enforcement and freedom of expression yeah. protesting in the street 
And apparently his protesting is so effective, this one man single sign protest, that he causes three cars to almost leave the road, distracted by what he's doing at the roadside. Well, that's the police version of it, I assume. Yes. And it's the almost, they almost did it. They were almost speeding. It's like attempted murder. Almost an accident. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You get a you get an you get an award for uh, for attempted hockey playing. Yeah, you don't get the Stanley Cup for that. <laughs> I, that I'd win that award. I can attempt. I can really yeah. really try. Sorry, uh, it's a bad Simpsons reference, but I can't I can't remember which one. It's a sideshow Bob one. I was talking to Brandon yesterday, oh, and uh, he he made a Simpsons joke with someone who didn't get it. It, there was some something that came up well that that that's not too bad i mean it might even be fun and he said well not as fun as hungry hungry hippos but you know. <laughs> and the person did the person did not click in i made a great simpsons reference yesterday uh to a client or in, in court i can't remember but it was a it was just a, a dry delivery of something and no one got it anyway okay sorry but the ridiculous part of the ridiculous driver of the week is what the police did when this guy starts his protest and almost causes three collisions. They ticketed the protester for stunting. For stunting? Stunting. How can you stunt? You're not in a vehicle. You're protesting. You have a it's right a to protest. protest. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, see, this is the thing in uh, Alberta, the uh, police do their own charge approval. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you were you were talking about that recently. We've been discussing that. Um, you know, we're not uh, we're not lawyers in Alberta, but we've defended lots of cases in Alberta and one of the fundamental problems is the police doing their own charge approval. Okay. So, yeah, that will be one where the crown prosecutor is going to have to <laughs> take them aside and say, "Yeah, this is not uh, this is not appropriate. Anyway, freedom of expression. Get out there and complain about the police. Uh, every once in a while in Alberta, you would see somebody who would have a sign, you know, speed trap ahead, um, mm-hmm. and the police would always be of the view that this is obstruction of justice or something. You're discouraging people from committing an offense is obstruction of justice. I, I you know, you're, you're keeping people from you're stopping people from committing an offense is obstruction of justice. You're not intending to obstruct the officer in the execution of their duties. You're intending to tell other people not to speed. Not to commit an offense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I always thought was ridiculous. and uh, But I laughed at the people who would do it. But I understand a little bit now. Um, the uh, <laughs> my, my, my understanding arises as a result of the fact that I'm a lawyer now. Back then, I used to look at it and think, hmm. I wonder if I could be the crazy guy standing out there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, well. That's, that's our podcast, Paul. Yeah, I enjoyed the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Thanks. And thanks for joining me. And thanks, everybody, for listening. If you have any driving law-related questions, you can reach us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call, 604-685-8889. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.